Hey, bosses, real quick before we get started, I want to let you know about our sponsor, Indeed.com. They are the number one job search and job posting platform out in the U.S. We'll tell you more about them during the break. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny FD, and welcome to episode 154 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I am in Sigiria, middle of the country, mountain town, I guess. Uh, Sri Lanka and Sam is back in North Carolina. No, South Carolina, the rebel state, man. Oh, it right, I, the rebel I state. Came, we got a lot of pride here in, in the South, in South Carolina, yeah. I keep mixing up the two. Did you know that South Carolina was the state, used to be the richest state in the uh, colony, uh, and also uh. was the state where the Civil War was kicked off? Ooh. Yeah, know, it's, it's crazy. In South Carolina. Yeah, the North and South are such different, different places. I mean, that's literally where the, where the, where the war divided, right? Uh, well, actually, technically divided, I think, north of Virginia. This has just happened to be where first, first, fires, uh, first, first shots were fired. I think it was at Charleston, if I'm not mistaken, um, somewhere on the coast. The, the Union had sent a boat down and, to collect some tax money, and the rebels didn't like it. And they bing, said, no. Nah. Okay. Well, I'm Aww. sure there's more to that. <laughs> there was definitely Aww. more to the, uh, more to that story than we're giving. So you guys can do your history. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what's interesting about South Carolina today is that is where you are with in a basement <laughs> again. Yeah, but but uh, actually, I'll be living in a tent uh, as of tomorrow. Just not a tent in the city. I'll be living in a tent uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains for about Ooh. a week. Um, but I did get good news that I believe I'll be able to move into my house a month early. It was going to be November. Now it looks like it'll be the end of September. So good news. Uh, I'll, um, I'll officially be a homeowner and a, a resident by the end of this month. So full steam ahead, ordering furniture, gym gear, coffee makers, wine, all that good domestic household stuff. That is fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you, Sam, that you're not <laughs> no longer going to be homeless, living in your parents' basement, and then in a tent in the middle of downtown i'm nesting johnny nesting that's what you do and it's what we're supposed to do right yeah well i guess so meanwhile i spent the last nine nights at this super nice beachside resort that for that's no that normally sells for 200 bucks a night because it's right on the mm-hmm. on the ocean 33 bucks a night dang and we were well we were it's not much, free yeah. the last hotel you're staying in was free i guess you yeah. lost some of your influence well, you know what? It was it, it was actually on purpose. I, I just wanted to just chill out for oh, – it was only supposed to be for four nights. We were just going to chill out and just take a break. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to make any videos. We ended up making a video about the place anyways because it was so beautiful. And then we ended up extending it from four nights to nine nights because it was just such a nice place to wake up every morning. There was a bathtub nice. in the room that overlooked the, the sunrise on, on the water. And I was thinking, like, we're never going to get this deal again. Oh, so good. Well, for, for the listeners, last week when Johnny and I recorded commentary for the MLP episode, at the end, Johnny was asking, you know, h- how everything was. And I was like, well, no, it sucks. Like, this is just terrible. I'm in Charlotte with, uh, in, in the living situation with like four people and a dog in a small place. It's hot. And, and Johnny's like, why are you not living in like a nice hotel or something? And I'm like, it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But the truth is that now I own eight properties and I don't like, I feel ridiculous paying for a hotel all through COVID because I can't <laughs> access any of my properties. It's just, and, and I'm paying rent in Charlotte. And I'm like, I just don't want to waste money. Johnny's like, you know what, man? Like, I don't, I don't like to see you like this. Just like give yourself permission to, to and say who cares and just go rent a nice hotel. So literally packed a bag right after that. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I went and stayed at this uh, hotel in Charlotte for three nights called the Ballantine. Ooh. It's like 300, 350 bucks a night. You can check it out. It's, it's on my Instagram, but it is like, it was ridiculous. And there was nobody there. I had this like Biltmore style estate mansion 
to myself, like the bar, the pool, the gym, even, even I got a massage, <laughs> massage was $220. Wow. Uh, but it's like a, a 50 room like spa underneath the hotel. There wasn't a person down there except for me. I'm like, this is, this is too cool, too good of an experience. So that was, uh, that was basically the last three of the last four days for me. Thanks. For That's tip, great. John. Well, actually that wasn't the advice I gave you. No, no. I my advice was, yeah, I, I didn't tell you a $300 night place. <laughs> I said, <No>. take, <laughs> take three grand and go rent a, a place, you know, kind of out of the city for a month oh, by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to find places long-term. I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing the same thing. Like every place outside the city is totally booked. Like every, there's a, three massive lakes outside of Charlotte. They're every place around there is booked long-term. So everyone's doing like what we're going to talk about in this episode is how much more money you can make just renting nightly instead of long-term. But I think a lot of people, there's just so much demand for staycations outside of, of big city centers right now that uh, it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a strange, strange uh, phenomenon that it's, it's hard to find a place right now, given all the supply, but Good segue into this week's episode with uh, Sean Greer from Vacasa. Johnny, you want to tell our listeners a little bit what it's about? Yeah. So there, imagine kind of a full service uh, kind of Airbnb where instead of you, uh, you know, and on both sides, if you want to rent a place uh, like Sam does, you go on there and you can find vacation rentals. And if you have a place that you want to have them manage for you, do all the uh, all the marketing, do all the cleaning, do all the booking, do all the maintenance, uh, they do that side as well. So really kind of the vacation home uh, property management all in one white glove service. Uh, I checked it out. They have some really cool properties on there. Uh, and I think it'd be interesting because I, I think right now a lot of people are considering either renting a place, uh, to, you know, and taking these these nature trips, or maybe just buying a place and putting it on there. So that way you have a a winter home or ski home or you know a summer home that you can rent out the rest of the year and not have to manage yourself. Yeah. So, so back in 2008, I was working in a startup that we provided software to companies like Vicasa and, and other property. Uh, management, rental management companies. And this was just becoming a, a sort of a big thing, right? This used to have separation between the two services. You'd have a property manager like, hey, we're leaving the house for six months. Just take care of it. Make sure the lights work. There's no flooding. Make sure, you know, keep, keep an eye on the property type of thing. Uh, and then there's rental management companies, which are more just the marketing side. So Vacasa is, is blended the best of two worlds. And I think this is a, a very interesting episode uh, as a as an alternative to an episode we previously published with Equity Estates. So, Equity Estates is much more an alternative for a second home. You make money. Uh, there would be the equivalent of a down payment on a second house uh, that is invested for ten years, and then you have access to their fleet of properties or portfolio properties kind of across North America and, and some properties abroad, but you have to pay the operating costs. This isn't a money-making investment per se. You might make money at the end when they liquidate the properties, but you're going to have uh, a fairly significant monthly operating cost. With Vacasa, you can buy a property, you can hand over the keys, it's going to generate revenue. You can use it as much as you want, but of course, the more you use it, the less money you're going to make. Uh, and they're going to take care of everything. They can take care of the house bills, the property uh, taxes. They can take care of the, all, all the maintenance utilities and, um, and, and then even the rental side. So basically hand over the keys, use it a few weeks a year and get a check at the end of the year without the hassle. So I think it's a really, really good service for people that don't want to be hands-on uh, but still want to own a second home, but not have that second home be a, a, a money loser. Yeah. Potentially, you could be a money maker and you can still have a lot of the same benefits. Obviously, you don't get the benefits of having hundreds of properties around the world and a network that you can use. So you would end up going back to your one vacation rental whenever you, know, you want to go and take that trip. But if it's cash flowing, why not have multiple ones around the world? Imagine if you know all eight of your properties are actually cash flowing you wouldn't mind buying a ninth or 10th one and, and having that. 
Yeah. So in this episode, we're definitely going to discuss all the services and, and what you can expect as a property owner. But we're also going to talk about what I think is the most interesting part of this episode, which is the returns that you could expect from specific style of properties, such as ski rentals we're going to focus on. But also, because Vacasa has so much data, they're able to do analysis on where the best returns are that on, on vacation rental properties. So if you buy it and, you, and you're to lease it out for most of the year, where you can expect the best returns, this is extremely interesting data. If you're thinking about buying a second home, particularly in North America, you're going to want to listen to this episode and you're going to want to hear what the, um, what the findings were in this report that they publish each year. All right. I love it. Let's hear from Sean. Hey bosses, I wanted to tell you about this week's sponsor, Indeed.com, the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. So right now, there is a huge movement of remote work and if your business is hiring, you have the potential of reaching people across the US for your job. But either way, if you're hiring locally or remote, you only have to pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. Unlike other sites, Indeed, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over you're hiring. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 ad credit at Indeed.com slash iLab. That's I-L-A-B. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash iLab. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th, 2020. Guys, and we're back. Sean, it's great to have you on the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're looking forward to this. I was just out in Colorado basically all of last month, and we're staying at a ton of lodges and resorts uh, that were managed by Vacasa. We found a lot that, that um, found a lot through you guys and was just really intrigued by the whole ski rental uh asset and property type and just looking at how, how, you know, how they're rented in the winters, how they're rented in the summers. You know, I didn't realize Sean, how amazing it is in ski country in the summertime. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, um, you know, we manage properties all over the United States. Uh, we manage about 25,000 properties, but Colorado's a, a core market for us. Um, and what you've seen in every ski destination market they always want to extend the seasons as much as they can. Right. So they're mm-hmm. trying to shorten that mud season and mm-hmm. uh, they're coming up with new and innovative ways to get people on the mountain, uh, mountain biking, uh, coasters, things like that during the summer. And it's working. Yeah, it was, it was definitely paradise out there. And you just mentioned mud season. I heard that for the first time <laughs> when I was out there, they're like, Oh yeah, you know, April, May, you don't want to be here. And I had that same impression last time I went skiing, I was, it was at the end of ski season in Tahoe and everything was melting and it was depressing watching all the snow melt, but the roads were disgusting. And it just, you just got the impression that it wasn't a great time of the year to be there. Yeah, it definitely gets messy. Uh, with that, I think the locals enjoy it, right? Because uh, they don't have a lot of tourists and stuff around. So sometimes it can be the best time to go there if you're not planning on, uh, you know, getting outside and stuff. You can sometimes check out some local restaurants and stuff like that because it's not as busy. Finally get in without the waiting lines, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. Great. Well, excited to jump into it. Um, it'd be great to hear a little bit about Vicasa, um, when, you know, when the company was founded, just to give the listeners who aren't aware of the company, uh, just a brief background. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, interesting story. We, we were founded in 2009, uh, with just one home on the Washington coast. Uh, basically our founder had inherited a home. Uh, he lived in a different state and every time they traveled there, uh, he found himself working on the property with his family. So he started mm-hmm. looking for, uh, companies to manage it. And what they told him was that he would receive about $3,000 a year from renting it out. And he said, there's got to be a better way. And so he founded Vacasa and he started with that one home, uh, renting it out as a vacation home. Mm-hmm. That first year he uh, brought in a little over $25,000 and knew that, okay, this was something that he wanted to put effort into. So 
Uh, founded in 2009, we provide full service property management, which includes uh, the marketing, the properties, booking them, guest services, the cleaning, the maintenance, um, and paying for any permitting or taxes. And then we pay the homeowner the, the difference after our fees. And then in 2018, we expanded into real estate and launched Vacasa Real Estate. And this is a, a program where we partner with real estate agents that are not with our brokerage. And we also have real estate agents with our, broker, with our brokerage in helping people find the best vacation homes uh, with an investment return. Very cool. So outside of the real estate, the new real estate division of your company, in say comparison to Airbnb, if you were a, if you were a property owner and you wanted to list on Airbnb, that's, that's just a marketing channel. You're going to be doing or you're gonna to have to employ property management on top of that. But with your company, you guys are giving a, an entire full service white glove experience to, to the property owner, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Uh, we're actually, uh, Airbnb is a preferred partner of ours along with mm -hmm. Verbo and Booking.com and others. Uh, it's, a, it's a marketing platform to get in front of guests. So we have Vacasa.com as well, and then we market every property uh, on Airbnb and, and the other booking channels. Mm -hmm. to get more eyes on the properties and more demand, which turns into more revenue for our homeowners. Now, on, in, in destinations like ski country, I was just out in Steamboat, for instance, will you guys actually manage the entire building or just the, just the units that people list with you, um, you know, in that building? Yeah, uh, actually we do both, especially in Steamboat. Uh, you know, in, in some markets where you have condo hotel style buildings, you'll have an association, an association manager for that mm -hmm. complex. And we manage over 150 associations across the United States, um, many of them in Colorado as well. And so depending on where you're staying, we could manage the entire uh, complex, uh, all of the community areas, uh, or we could just manage individual properties within complexes. Got it. Yeah. Cause I was thinking, I, I kept seeing people in, in Vicasa shirts and I saw <laughs> you had like retail shops or, or, you know, it, it looked like some type of operational headquarters in these. And I was like, what, what, what is the full scope of everything that you can do? But now I understand it. That's, that's pretty awesome. So, you know, as a property owner, you could basically just hand over the keys to you guys and not have to think too much about that property throughout the year. Is that, is that pretty fair to say? Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. It's definitely a partnership with the property owner. We need to understand what are their desires and interests. You know, we have some property owners that purchase uh, a vacation rental with a desire to retire in it when they retire. And so that uh, type of homeowner has different desires and needs than a homeowner that is 100% focused on investment return and cap rates. And so mm -hmm. our platform is set up so that the homeowner can have some uh, controls and design over how they want us to manage their property. With that said, uh, we, we do take care of the full service of the property um, in collecting money, marketing, um, taking care of the guests while they're using it. Uh, we employ our own housekeeping staff and maintenance technicians. Um, and so we have homeowners uh, on both spectrums. We have some homeowners that may own 50 vacation rentals because that's their investment desire and they're 100% revenue focused uh, and we are the best at generating revenue. And then we have other homeowners that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a family home, but they may live a few hours away and they need somebody to take care of their property and they want to make some money to pay for the taxes and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so we understand the needs of the homeowners and then uh, we do as much as we can to, to craft our operations around those desires. And you mentioned earlier, Sean, about taxes. Do you guys actually handle tax payments uh, and even maintenance, HOA payments, payments like this stuff uh, on behalf of the property owner? Um, or is that, is that an option through you guys? Yeah, so we do handle all of the uh, lodging, hotel taxes, depending on what municipality it is. Um, and also any taxes for any fees and that sort of thing. Um, so we pay those directly on behalf of the homeowner and then the homeowner gets a 1099 at the end of the year saying, Hey, here's, uh, here's the details. Uh, we do also, uh, we can service other, um, portions of the property like, mm -hmm. um, landscaping and things like that, where we can run that through Vacasa 
um, so that the homeowner doesn't have to worry about making payments. And we just deduct that payment off of the, the rental proceeds that the property makes. That's a beautiful thing. Those things become, they become a, a big peace of mind every yeah. month when you see, see yeah. all the bills rolling in and you like hate writing that check. It just gives you kind of this negative uh, association with your property over time, I think, but that's cool. Great. So I wanted to jump into the rental side of the business. I think a lot of listeners are interested in this uh, from an investment standpoint. I'm curious what you guys are seeing right now. We've been through such massive changes in 2020 um, and, and demand, I know just from personal experience, you know, all, all the travel that I'm trying to do just locally, like right now I'm staying in a hotel that's seven minutes away from my house just to get out of oh, my wow. house, right? <laughs> uh, get some space and get out of my house or my condo. It's different. You know, house is, house is better in a COVID world, but I uh, wanted to know what you guys are seeing with, in terms of demand in different markets, uh, you know, our durations going longer or shorter, just any, any high level of views that you guys have of what's been the, you know, what, what's been the effect of kind of COVID so far? Yeah, well, you definitely hit the nail on the head when you just said uh, home compared to condo, because uh, <laughs> one of the things that we're seeing is a demand for single family type portfolio. Um, and uh, against like shared amenities or condos with shared pools and hot tubs, there's a higher demand for uh, private amenities, uh, hot tubs, things like that, that don't have share that aren't shared. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, like what we saw was all of the markets across the United States, like travel restrictions were put in place during, during COVID and um, around May when markets started opening back up, uh, we weren't really sure what, what was going to happen and what we found is that demand just skyrocketed. There was pent up demand. Uh, we had, uh, our demand was about 20% over the prior year. Mm. Um, so you can imagine going from zero to 20% over prior year. Uh, it, it, it was challenging for us, but it was great right. to see people wanting to get, you know, out of their homes. The, the biggest factors we see is drive to markets. So people, uh, the markets that are two and a half hours away or so or less from major metro areas, we're seeing much higher demand than we've seen before. That's because people aren't, aren't flying. And then uh, more desire for outdoors and single family homes with, uh, with amenities. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It seemed like every place out in Colorado was almost booked fully. We, we had a lot of trouble um, moving from, once we were in a place, we were like, hey, let's go check out Vail and let's check out Steamboat. And it seemed like almost every place was was booking up, you know, two, three weeks in advance. I mean, there's a lot of inventory out there, but uh, very yeah, popular place to be in, the, in the, with yeah, this so world I mean, condition. <laughs> outdoor area, right? So any, yeah. anywhere where it's outdoors, what, what you've seen is a shift as well from urban type market or uh, demand to more rural demand. People want to be outdoors. Um, and you know, there aren't concerts and conventions and things like that going on. So those who had vacation homes in urban destinations are, are struggling a little more than the rural uh, properties. Uh, I assume that with your guys new real estate arm, you, you have a, a lens into a lot of the different transactions going on in real estate, but then also on your, your rental side, you can see what the demand is, um, you know, the pricing of, of what these places are renting for outside of COVID and in, in normal times or, or say in 2019, was there a favorite type of destination place that you like by category, say it's oceanfront or wine yeah, country? I mean, is, is, there, is there one place that stands out that always crushes it? Yes. Um, so th there's different aspects of from a overall revenue projection pre COVID, uh, you could pretty much count on higher revenue for ocean ocean front or near the ocean, mm -hmm. then lake, then mountain. And that was, um, you know, pr pretty steady for, for multiple years. You do have some pockets when you look at the return rate, when you start looking at, okay, how much does it cost to purchase a home? And what's the revenue generated? Um, you know, there, Gatlinburg, Tennessee has been uh, at the top of the, the list, um, you know, the top five for multiple years in a row. Uh, and it's because it's outdoors and there's some, um, you know, it's easier to get to from some large metro areas. Mm -hmm. um, 
But since COVID, I think what we've seen in the, sh- the big shift is markets that are close to major metros that are outdoors that have single family type inventory are the markets that are uh, garnishing more demand and therefore higher average daily rate of rent and, you know, more, more rents. Mm-hmm. So oceanfront's uh, oceanfront, I guess, can be a, a year round destination if it's a place like San Diego. Um, and then mountain can certainly be a, a year round destination if it's in ski country. Lakes can be kind of tricky, right? Cause they could be, you could have a few good seasons, but maybe half the year is it's totally undesirable. Um, every, uh, every market has its own unique thing. Like you, you picture a ski market, like there a couple of years ago, we had not a great snow pack. Right. And that dramatically impacts, uh, the duration of the ski season, which therefore is the revenue of your vacation rental makes. And you can see a direct correlation between snowpack ski season and revenue for ski markets. Um, mm. You go to places like the Gulf Coast and they have different challenges. I mean, there's hurricanes that go through there, right? Um, and so every different type of location has a different demand cycle. In general, like winter markets, yes, uh, you know, ski, ski markets, they make more money in the winter, but they're starting to get a summer. Uh, mm. And in general, uh, oceanfront, you're gonna make most of the revenue in the summer they're trying to extend um, their winter by getting snowbird rentals and things like that. There are a right. lot of people in Canada that come down and purchase or, or stay in a vacation home for three, four months out of the year because they don't want to be in the snow in Canada for that long. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And where do you guys currently have the most inventory uh, hosted with you guys or listed with you guys? Yeah. Um, so because we started out on, um, the West coast, it, it used to be Oregon, Washington area, um, with a few thousand properties, uh, on the coast there. Uh, since we expanded starting about four or five years ago over to the East coast in Florida, Florida is by far one of the largest vacation rental markets there are in the United States. Um, and so that has now exceeded our inventory um, and so Northwest Florida, uh, Destin area is where we have the most, um, portfolio over there. And it's a good mix too. You can have condos, you can have, uh, mansions, uh, that are on the beach. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's shifted a little bit, but I think, uh, as we continue to uh, look for opportunities to expand in markets where, you know, our guests want to go, you'll see us continue to expand along the coasts and mm-hmm. more interior markets as well. Got it. On a, a curious on, on the owner side of things, how frequent most of these owners are actually using the properties. Do you guys have recommendations or restrictions on how much the owners can use the properties? We do not have any rec, uh, restrictions for owners. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the owner persona. Like, a, like I was talking to you about, if you have an owner that lives uh, an hour and a half away from their property, they're going to use it more um, than an owner that, you know, flies in twice a year. Um, it, it's very easy for an owner to book out their property. We, uh, every owner has an owner portal. They log in. They basically just block their calendar. Uh, they can do that for themselves or family and, um, and use the property whenever they want. Very cool. And one of the thing I noticed in some of these rentals was that a lot of the owners seem to have had uh, – lock closets, uh, which I, I assumed had a bunch of their stuff in it. Is that, is that pretty typical? <laughs> uh, it only is. Yeah. We I'd say probably 80% of our properties have some sort of locked storage area or something. It's just difficult for an owner to be carrying, you know, everything back and forth from their home. So yeah, you just lock off a, an area. Some of them, um, build something into the garage. Um, and that way all your stuff is there, uh, when you and your family show up. So yeah, probably about 80% of our properties have some sort of lock storage for the homeowner. Super convenient. Love that. Uh, I want to jump into ski country rentals specifically, both mostly out of personal interest, but also I know a lot of our <laughs> listeners uh, are, are very interested in this as well. Uh, you know, where's a good place to start with this stuff? I mean, I, I guess just from speaking to people out there, it seemed like most of the revenues were generated on ski season, which of course makes sense kind of 
January one through the end of March. Uh, but I, but when we were out there, everything was booked solid through the summertime. Uh, so I'm curious if you knew what the, what the breakdown would be of how much revenue is generated in the different seasons. Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll just tell you and your listeners kind of, kind of high level, the mm-hmm. average daily rates and occupancy, uh, we'll just pick a market Breckenridge, Breckenridge, but for, for any property, uh, that someone is looking at purchasing, what they can do is reach out to Vacasa and our analyst team will provide a report that will give a projection of, Hey, here's how much revenue that property is going to make. And here's how much revenue each month. Um, and so, and that's also available on our line or, or online. We have uh, a Vacasa vestiment basically that provides those, those details. So uh, like it, like in Breckenridge, you're, you're looking at January, February, March, you're, you know, 50%, a little over 50% occupancy in general. Uh, like you had said, you know, most of those properties are taken every day, but there's days here and there uh, that, it, that it's not. Uh, then April, May drops off to somewhere around 10, 12% occupancy, and then jumps back up July, August, another 50% or so, and then drops back down October, November. Mm. Um, so you really do, I mean, I, I would call it a two season market. It's just how long those seasons are winter seasons, longer summer seasons, shorter, but it's a two season market. And so when you're looking for as an investment, uh, it's also great to pick out, you know, two season type markets. So, yeah, got it. So I guess similar question there as, as just general rentals, how much do you typically find owners are using it during the high seasons? Like, do, are they taking a month out of ski season for themselves? Uh, typically not. And I, th- I think it, re- again, really depends on why the homeowner has a vacation home in the first place. Um, it, if you have a home that you are going to take all of the peak season for, you're really not going to get as much revenue back from the property because that's when it gets rented. You know, 4th of July is likely the, the highest uh, average daily rate across any vacation home. Um, so if you use it every 4th of July, like you're not going to get that income. And for some owners, that's great for other ones that are like, Hey, I purchased this property accounting for that income. Um, then, you know, they are not going to use it during those peak seasons as much. Got it. I was trying to find a place or I have been trying to find a place to rent for the entire ski season coming up. Cause I just oh, feel wow. like, yeah, I mean, if just, this is the year to do it, right? Like everyone's working remote. So, but I found it very difficult uh, looking online and asking around because again, I guess to your point, uh, so much money is made just in the nightly rentals uh, versus renting it long-term. Do you find it common that people are renting out their places on like monthly rates or is it almost just straight daily rates through peak seasons? Yeah, the, I mean, if you're looking at revenue, so the average daily rate for, you know, a three, two in Breckenridge is about $450 a night. And so like many people aren't going to be able to afford that for a month or mm-hmm. two months. Right. Um, so, so it really comes down to what the demand is um, and, and what the property can garnish with that said, there are restrictions on certain properties. And this is why it's important. You know, if you're thinking about, uh, about buying a vacation home, definitely talk to experts and, and locals in, in the market. Mm-hmm. The restrictions start at kind of the uh, state, then the county level, then the city level, and then actually the HOA or association level. And so what you can find is some associations will require a seven, like uh, no shorter than seven day stays. Mm-hmm. or no shorter than 30 day stays. So there, there definitely are properties that you can rent uh, because that's all that they allow is 30 day or mm-hmm. more stays. It's just there, there are fewer of them and there are less of them on the short-term rental, you know, programs um, yeah. or platforms. So, but, but they're definitely out there. Do you guys have any of that inventory specifically? Uh, we do. Uh, we definitely do it in multiple markets. Uh, oh, I know send there's... me a link. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny when I, when I looked, um, you know, I just went in and looked at Colorado uh, and Vermont and some others for December one till the end of December. 
and there's nothing available. And I mean, what it tells you, there's properties (laughs) already booked. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they do exist. It's, it's not the majority of properties though, for sure. Okay. Well, if, if you, if you come across any, let me know. I'm, I'm definitely in the market <laughs> to book. Cause I think the ski season is going to be, like you said, use the word before pen up demand. I think there's massive pen up demand. And if there's any type of social distancing restrictions in place, it means it's going to be, it's just going to be tougher to get on the lifts, but, uh, yeah. So I, I was thinking just go out for a month and then take your time. You don't have to try to rush five days of skiing in, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Vail resorts did actually release their COVID plan, which does have uh, some restrictions in, in play. So yeah, I would say uh, let's help you find that place to stay for sure. Great. Well, I guess that means ski season's on then, correct? <laughs> That's what they said. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it no should more- be, um, less busy on the mountain. So uh, no, no more bait and switch. I was, I had everything booked for this 2020 in March and, uh, I was oh, just about gosh. to get on my flight. I was at the airport about to get on my flight to Tahoe when Vail Resorts sent out the email saying it's, you know, everything's closed. So at least I didn't get on the flight, but still a kind of a dagger, you know, and you're, you're excited about that to have that stripped away last minute. Not yeah, fun. definitely. I think it's going to be an interesting year for, for all ski resorts. Um, I think, you know, I've seen some unique ways that they're planning on handling it. I think mm-hmm. ultimately what it means is less people on the mountain. So it should be, you know, better powder days. Um, yeah. But it's going to be unfortunate for for some people. They're not going to be able to get the opportunity to, to go up and do it. Yeah. So. Well, fingers crossed. Um, I think, you know, generally when all the listeners are listening to this, they're thinking about thinking about how, uh, how good the opportunity is to make an investment in one of these units and one of these properties. Do you guys have any high level numbers of what someone could expect? Um, you know, having it managed by you guys, full tilt, everything top to bottom, uh, just a return on what, what you could expect the, on say like a two, two or a three, two, um, after all the expenses are paid out and the owner's just left with, you know, with the gravy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And this is uh, one of the reasons why we put together an annual report. It's, you know, the top 25 best places to buy a vacation rental for investment. Oh, wow. Um, so, so we do have that. We do that once a year and it's been interesting to see kind of the, some of the changes there. I think there are three Colorado markets on the list. So it mm-hmm. sounds like, um, you know, you might uh, have some interest in looking at that. Um, but depending on the markets and the purchase price of the properties, we basically look at uh, across our, um, you know, 700 or so destination vacation markets. Um, we then look at what the median sale price of the properties are and what the uh, average rental revenue is. And then we subtract out, um, you know, fees like taxes and some for maintenance and then our property management uh, to come up with uh, a cap rate for the different Mm -hmm. markets. And so there's the top 25 out online. You can look it up, but um, you know, the the top three big sky Montana is at a 9.2% cap rate. Uh, Then Cape Hatteras, uh, North Carolina is at 8.6%. And then uh, Poconos, Pennsylvania, which is a little ski destination, uh, 8.2% cap rate. And then some of the Colorado markets are, are still on the top 25 list, but range anywhere from uh, 6% to a little over 5% return. Um, so what that means in dollars, it really just depends on the market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's why we do it at a cap rate. Uh, so. Uh, and th- those prices range anywhere from over half a million dollars down to 250,000 in, in different markets. What, Sean, what was the best market in Colorado? Yeah, let me see. I was thinking it's gotta be like Copper Mountain or yeah, Copper's so, like they're in the mix, but it's just doesn't qu- generate quite the crowds it seems like. So the ones that are on here is Vail, Silverthorne, Breck, and Steamboat. And they're okay. all really close to around yeah. 6% return. And what, what we find, um, you know, if you just look up like, hey, how much does it cost to purchase a property in Vail? It's very expensive, mm-hmm. right? What we're seeing is uh, with the low interest rates that we have right now, um, the 
the inventory or the market is actually expanding as much as it can so that vacation rentals are now making money on the outskirts of town as were before most of the demand was just right as close as you could get to the ski mountain which it still is the highest demand but the markets are also expanding and so you can get a a lower purchase price property that's mm -hmm. uh, a little bit further out from um you know the ski ski lifts and chairs mm -hmm. for less money but you're still going to make a really good uh return and so you know some of the property the condo properties in breckenridge are anywhere from 50 to $65,000 a year is the, the rental revenue. Wow. Um, and, and then Steamboat Springs is somewhere around the 35 to 45,000 a year for, for um, a condo, small condo. Not too shabby. Yeah. And you really got to make use of these things. Cause I was even looking at the HOA uh, where we were staying in Steamboat and HOA for us, you know, nice, but pretty small <laughs> one bedroom was like $1,200 a month. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yes, definitely. In the ski markets, you, you have a lot of maintenance uh, from snow shoveling and all that sort of stuff. And so we actually see a higher fee ratio mm -hmm. um, in uh, Colorado or, or the ski markets than we do in other markets where you don't have as much maintenance. Okay. And you mentioned uh, the, the property in Breckenridge, like a 3-2 during peak season, you're, get, you're getting about $450 a night for that. Um, wh what would be like a one bedroom or a two bedroom in comparison to that figure? Uh, let me just uh, look up a little bit. Let's see. Um, in, so I have something in Steamboat here uh, mm -hmm. that's a 2-2. Two -two. It's about an average rate of 265 a night. And so these are averages. And so the, the way that Vacasa's, we have a, a yield management team and software. So our prices are dynamic, kind of like mm -hmm. in airlines. They can yeah. change up to four times a day uh, based on demand and weather patterns and all kinds of stuff like that. And so <laughs> these are average daily rates that I'm giving. There's definitely times when we exceed that and go lower than that to fill the occupancy. Um, and, you know, if, if you're looking for a property, you know, five or six months out, you're going to pay a higher price because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're planning that out. Uh, our prices decrease as that booking window shortens. So, if, uh, you know, if we don't, if we don't have that property booked for, um, two days during the week, but it's booked on both weekends and that's a week out, then we're going to drop the prices of those two days during the week so that we can get a, a, mm -hmm. a stay in there and get the homeowner revenue. Is, is, are any of the property owners or anyone on your team thinking about ski seasons longer term? And it seems like ski seasons are, they're pretty volatile. I mean, sometimes we get these massive long seasons that almost go an entire year. And other times it f seems like it's only like a two month of two months of decent snow, but everyone seems to think the world's heating up and, and uh, ski seasons will get shorter. Is there, is there any type of conversation going on uh, on your team or with, with homeowners around that? Yeah, there's definitely conversations uh, that we run into with some homeowners that are thinking of buying and where should they buy and um, what, you know, the global warming is doing. Mm -hmm. Primarily, it's been in our coastal markets and when people are looking for properties on Key West and other markets where, um, you know, the elevation is a few feet above sea level. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, okay, well, what's going to happen in 15 to 20 years? Right. Uh, is my house going to be underwater? Um, I haven't heard as much about the ski um, seasons and snowfall. You know, we just had a pretty great year last year. Uh, right. It just seems like uh, you just can't forecast it. Definitely our demand and our teams know when uh, a storm rolls in and if it's a long season or not, because, uh, you know, we, we work that much more. Yeah. Um, but from a servicing <laughs> standpoint, you know, we, we'll do the same thing, whether it's good or bad uh, snow. Got it. Well, real quick, as we, we kind of get into closing, Sean, what, what are the top ski markets in terms of demand that you guys see? Maybe the top two or three. Yeah. So uh, Solitude, Utah uh, is at, at the kind of the top of the list for our demand last year. And then Silverthorne, uh, Colorado, and then Big Sky, Montana. So That's those so are the interesting. three that we saw the, the highest uh, occupancy, which we kind of correlate with, with demand. Yeah. And then Frisco, Colorado is not too far down the list either. 
That's very interesting. I've never heard of Silver uh, Solitude, actually. Silverthorn, I heard of. Big Sky, yeah. Oh, really? Solitude, yeah, no. Oh, yeah. You got to uh, check out some of the Utah ski markets. Very cool. Good stuff. Sean, this has been awesome, man. Learned a ton. Can't wait to share this with uh, all the listeners. That report that you mentioned, is that is that published currently? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, Vacasa top markets. You can just type in 2020 best places to buy a vacation home and it should come up uh, in any major search engine. And we just have them listed there. And then you can click on those locations and get a little more details about the local activities and that sort of thing. And listeners, we'll leave a, we'll leave a link to that in the show notes. I bet that report is in high demand from all types of, all types of interested people from private equity to retail investors. Um, that's, yeah, that's you're right on really there. interesting Definitely seeing interest across the board <laughs> <laughs> really interesting data to say the least great uh before we break is there anything you want to leave the listeners with uh any, anything to shout out about the company or or uh, what's going on yeah i think um just for those that are looking for a, a vacation rental thinking about purchasing it just make sure you work with uh somebody who's experienced you know somebody who's closed 10 to 15 transactions that are vacation rentals it's a unique purchase like i talked a little bit about the regulatory restrictions of the daily rentals, that sort of thing. There's advanced bookings, like many of these properties, when you go buy them, there's advanced deposits that need to transfer to you when you buy it. Um, So there's things like that that are unique, that are different from a primary residence. So uh, that's probably the the biggest thing I'd say to, to listeners when they're looking. Awesome. Listeners, stay tuned to commentary from Johnny and I. Sean, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Sam, I ain't going to lie. I've really thought about buying a vacation home and, and listening with these guys after listening to that. I didn't actually know that you can make or expect to make such a, you know, it's, it's a fairly substantial return when you think of it. Because when I think of vacation homes in the USA, uh, even when you're renting them out, I'm thinking the best you can do is break even just because taxes and HOAs are so high. Like I was out all month, uh, last month in Colorado. And I was looking at these places, the HOAs are for even a one bedroom, you're going to be paying close to a thousand dollars a month. The two bedroom, you're paying more than a thousand dollars a month, just an HOA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is crazy. But you know, what else is crazy is the nightly rental prices. I was taking a look around and everything's, you know, minimum 250, $300, $400 a night. And people are willing to pay it, I guess. Well, John, you got that extra hundred grand you've been looking to deploy somewhere. Another great thing about property in the USA, and this probably goes for everybody for their home country where they have citizenship and some history is you can get a bank loan. So that $100,000 would certainly buy you a half million dollar two bedroom in Vail. You know what? I was actually looking into that and I, I, I had to prove, I, I think I was uh, applying for the the new visa to, to the country of Georgia and they just needed to prove that you made $2,000 a month. And I was like, oh, that's easy. And I started trying to upload the documents and I realized I don't have proof <laughs> that I make $2,000 a month. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah, easy. It's like it's as an entrepreneur- you you're, not getting paid, yeah, you're not getting paid <laughs> the same amount each month for the last three years from a company. Yeah, and I was thinking like, if I ever needed to take an actual loan out to buy a house or something, I, I like, I can't prove I'm like, I can't prove I make more than a grand a month. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing how, um, for, for people that live off investment income or that are retired, it's, it can be really challenging. I, like I'm pretty sure you can get do it. There's all these different types of loopholes that mortgage companies can, file through, but it's, uh, but there, it's, it's non-standard. So it just takes a lot more work and it's super frustrating because you're like, you think you should be getting a mortgage so easily. <laughs> and it's really not that easy if you're, if you're, an, if you're self-employed or an entrepreneur, or you're just like, yeah, you make, you make money one year and nothing the next year. It's almost impossible then, even if you have net assets. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was taking a look at that, that PDF, or we'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Mm-hmm. But on the top 25 markets for buying a vacation home in 2020, I, if one of the top five or any of the, the higher cap rate ones were in a tax-free state, like in Texas, 
maybe even Florida or um, or Nevada, I would consider buying one. But it looks like we got Montana, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Alabama. They're all. I mean, and and maybe. I don't know. I don't know if there's a correlation. Maybe tax-free states have higher uh, property taxes that lowers the, you know, the cap rate. But I don't even know if they actually even factor that in. I'm I'm pretty sure these cap rates are a bit. Uh, I don't want to say exaggerated, but they're high level, and, and they don't factor everything in. You're not really going to get nine point two percent returns on your house in Big Sky, Montana. You you know this Why probably not? doesn't. I I think this just. Uh, I'd have to look into it more, but I'm pretty sure this would not include uh, things like, you know, you know, the, you know, needing to change the roof every, you know, however many oh, yeah. years, yeah, or uh, maybe your annual property tax that might not be factored in. Uh, he, they said that they they factored in kind of the the local taxes, but I'm pretty sure like the you know the, this doesn't also include things like you know your mortgage payment or all the other kind of random expenses that will eat away at that 9%. Yeah. Well, let me, well, actually the return is much, if you have a mortgage, then the return could be much larger based on the amount of money you put down. Like Kevin Mm -hmm. in, in, in uh, Hong Kong self storage is always like, you know, making 30% levered. Right. Cause he's only money on down money. Cash 10%. Cash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let me ask you, you mentioned the, the state tax. Why would it matter for you? You're already non-resident of, of the USA or a, a resident of Texas. What, why would it matter to you if you bought a place in say California? So I, I think if I had a place in California, it would complicate the, the taxes again. Um, I would buy it kind of as a way to hedge against California ever coming back after me and, and just saying like, no, look, I own property in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Well, that makes sense. You could take a look at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, I believe has like a three-year plan or it's like two years into a five-year plan of becoming state tax free. Uh, and from what I've heard, they're going to be the most aggressive at being tax free. So that means like mm-hmm. even on some of your investment earnings, you won't have any income tax on that, which would be someone who went to that level. That'd be a game changer, right? Cause you would get so many retirees moving there. Yeah. If well, you, you weren't taxed on your, your investment accounts. That'd be amazing. And I'm actually surprised there hasn't been a state yet besides Puerto Rico, who's, you know, tried luring in retirees during this. Cause mm-hmm. I, I would move there in a heartbeat. So Tennessee, reach out. If, if that law gets pushed through, I'm moving to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Ten- <laughs> Tennessee, Johnny. Well, yeah. I, I think this data is super helpful. I mean, it just goes to show you that, like, um, you know, you, you can make money off of these things. And what really appeals to me is just being able to turn the keys over and not think about it. Just like my, my property down in Phuket in Thailand. I literally don't think about that property at all, all year, unless I want to go use it or I'm having a friend or a family stay at it and I have to contact them. Other than that, it's just a check at the end of the year. It's no must, no fuss. Everything's taken care of. Uh, and that, that experience is, is beautiful. So if Vicasa can replicate that experience, um, and you can make a, you know, six, 7% return and get to use the property a couple of times, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Well, one nice, thing, one nice thing about this model is if Vicasa doesn't do a good job for whatever reason, you, you own the home and you get to switch. I mean, even you, you can either try to find another white glove you know, turnkey system, or you can piece yours together and say, you know what, this didn't work out or the fees are too high. Uh, let me, you know, get a separate property manager, you know, under them, they can hire the maintenance guy and everything. Uh, you know, you know, maybe I'll do the, the vacation rental, you know, marketing on the side or hire someone else yep. to do that. So you have the option to, to pull the plug with them. Um, you know, probably anytime. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the contract is, but you know, you own the home. So, you know, worst comes to worst. Once the contract's over, you can, um, you know, you, you can take it in your own hands. Yeah. 
It's just like a recreational vehicle, Johnny. You can do it all different types of ways. You can get the full-on big boy drive-in. You can get the fifth wheel pull behind. You get the little camp pop-up trailer and tow a car behind it. I mean, this is just like a million different ways you can do it between property management and rental management companies, depending on how active you want to be. And of course, the more active you are, the more money you're going to make. Also, the more headache you're going to make. Um, but interested to hear... We should definitely get a, a, a conversation going in the boss lounge in our Patreon group just about where people own their um, their their second homes or their vacation rentals and see what types of ter- returns people are getting around the world on these on these properties. I can certainly contribute some to that that chat, but would love to hear from more people in the group. Yeah, I, I think that'd be interesting. And, and if they're actually making money from it or not, because I would imagine yeah. that most people with a vacation home they end up kind of just sitting there and they end up either costing people money or breaking even, as you said. And even through Vacasa, I would be, I would be very curious kind of to see the, to talk to someone who has a property managed through them uh, and know, you know, how much they're actually getting at the end of the year after, you know, the other kind of random things that come up uh, that might not be included in, in that cap rate. Yeah. You know, this year is so funny because some people are probably making more money than they've ever made on their vacation rental <laughs> yep. just because of all the staycations and stuff. And some people are probably making nothing. Like I'm making zero this year off my three properties in Chiang Mai because there's literally nobody there mm-hmm. and the ties don't go there and vacation at these places, right? So it's like, it's a fully expat driven demand market. Uh, but I'm, I'm from my experience being out in Colorado, by the way, like I saw Vicasa everywhere out there. That's how this episode started. I'm like, who's this company, man? They're everywhere. Uh, the, the demand in July and August in Colorado was out of this world. Like I had mm-hmm. to drive to further and further distant places to just find a place that was available for like three days. So it's, uh, it's booming, man. People want to be out in nature, want to get some space and want to get out of their multifamily complexes. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a permanent change. I mean, obviously the, the demand for these, you know, long-term um, or not even long-term, but these, this high, you know, this hype instications right now, that's slowly going to, to normalize. But I do think that more and more people are going to want to get out of nature or get out of the city and get into nature, maybe even work from there. Uh, so I do think actually it would be a good investment. So Sam, if you wanted to buy uh, a property and put it on the Casa, I would support it. <laughs> I don't think it's for me. No more property in the U S of A. Although if I was going to do it, it would be in this exact manner, buy something, turn the keys over and forget about it. There's uh, there's no way I'm taking care of any more properties in the near term. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, one other thing I would do, uh, is if I lived in the US, I would buy an RV and I would put it on these RV rental sites that charge yeah. like 250, 300 bucks a night on a $75,000 RV. Th- those returns are insane. Yeah, I think that's going to be okay. I think people are going to continue renting these things for a long time, but I think prices are going to go down. Right now, there's just so much in demand, but there are a gazillion secondhand RVs for sale in North America. I mean, every single corner you, you pass up here, there's, there's like brand new looking RVs for sale for half the price. So you can pick those uh, things up really cheap. Right now, I think this demand is supercharged because people just want to have their own space. Uh, and a lot of the, the, the local places around town are not available. So it's a weird, weird time. But um, some of those, do you know any of those off the top of your head, the names of those? Because some of them are... Um, I think there's outdoorsy is one of them. Yeah. Uh, RV share.com. Garving. That's be, that's become a really big thing recently. Half the people don't even know how to drive an RV or hook it up, but they'll just like go camp out. Just buy one anyways. A week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would buy one of those class B's where they're basically like driving a, a sprinter van. I mean, they're literally built on a van platform. So there, there are options. There are options. Listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Let us know what you think. Let us know how your second home uh, rental property is performing, where it is. The more you can share, the better. We'd love to get that conversation going. 
Uh, if you are in the USA, check out Vecasa. I'm not sure if they're operating internationally yet, but um, I had a really good experience with them. Every, every place that we went out west that we were running from them, very professional group. So uh, without direct experience, I'd recommend them. And Johnny, any new updates on your second home plans? You've been pretty close. You've been thinking about it a lot. You know, what's funny is I, I checked, I logged into my bank account and I saw $5,000 had gotten kicked back to me mm. and I'm pretty sure it's from these guys. So yeah. it may be, may, it might've just not gone through and that might've been my, uh, my, what do you call it? A out. sign. <laughs> yeah. My out. Yeah. <laughs> Easier than my out in Thailand that went wrong, but all's, all's well that ends well. Yeah. But I, I like the idea of it. Uh, I just think it was probably a bad idea for me to put a third of my uh, total net worth into one property. So it's been fun. Uh, and it's, it's been a great episode. If you guys like this episode, make sure you share it with friends. Uh, give us a review in the new podcast app uh, on either your iPhone, your MacBook, or uh, I have no idea how to do it on Windows now because iTunes switched over. But wherever you can, give us a review. Uh, give us a rating and we'll see all of you guys next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.